but if you were a winemaker and said so you know what's this what what are you blending for your wine and you say i don't know it's it's grape they recognize the difference that the terroir has the difference that varietal varieties have the climate has how important those are in your ultimate product and it's no different from wheat you know a wheat grown in saskatchewan it's very different from a wheat grown in arizona This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in our sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this episode of the Sourdough Podcast, David Keisel of Cape Hay Mills joins me to talk about his recent crowdsourcing success using the new platform SMBX. David describes his unique path into milling and farming and his goal to resurrect community-scale grain milling. We talk about our mutual wheat network and David's vision for the future of the California grain economy. Just a quick note before we start, I do want to apologize for the quality of my voice recording on this episode, both to my guest and to you, the listener. I always strive to produce the highest quality content for my audience, so I was disappointed, to say the least, when I realized the poor quality of my recording, especially since I recorded two interviews in a row with David Keisel and Alexander Allen. Thanks to Caleb, my editor, for salvaging these conversations. I was afraid they were a loss. They are a bit rough, but I wanted to honor my guests and their time and talent by still sharing our conversation. Luckily, they sound great and talk more than I did. I hope you still enjoy. Shout out to my former guest and local wheat farmer, John Eck, who made a very generous donation and is our latest contributor to the podcast. He insisted I use his shout-out to share the following message, which he required me to read verbatim. John is a difficult person. I really don't like him. Uh, Please don't follow him or encourage him in any way. I have tried that wheat he is always bragging about. It's terrible. Just avoid the whole situation if you can. Trust me. Thanks, John. You're always keeping me on my toes. (laughs) If you'd like a shout out on the podcast, head over to the sourdoughpodcast.com and click on the support button in the top right hand corner. With your donation in any amount, not only will you be helping make the next episode of your favorite podcast possible, you'll get a shout out on air for you or your bakery. So head over to our website now and thanks for supporting the podcast. And now here's my interview with David Keisel. My guest today is David Keisel. David owns and operates Cape Hay Mills in Northern California, where he grows and mills heritage grains. Founded in 2015, Cape Hay Mills has faced hurdles like drought, wildfires, and even too much rain. Despite these setbacks, his operation has earned a loyal following from whom an influx of recent support has come in the form of hundreds of small business bonds. David joins me today to talk about his journey, his recent crowdsourcing success, and the future of grain economy in California. David, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's a pleasure, Michael. Glad to be here. Um, my buddy John Eck down here in in Turlock, we've you know we've got to talk quite a bit in the last year or so. He's he's said uh, some really great things about you. You've, you've been really extremely generous. Um, with all your industry knowledge and experience and so you know you're you're doing doing the good work even to get the you know grow my local grain economy down here so we're appreciative uh, appreciative of your your efforts but uh yeah i mean let's let's get into your uh, background maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit uh, how you got into farming how you found your way into this uh, industry <laughs> well, we got to go back quite a ways. Um, I've always been around food. Uh, my mother's from the South, family's from the South. I grew up in in you know, sort of 60s and 70s in this, you know, I look back and realize that that I had a pretty privileged upbringing, uh, nutritionally, let's say, <laughs> just that um, she was, apart from being a great cook, 
um, really put a lot of effort into into local ingredients, into mm. cooking simply. Um, we were fortunate to, I grew up down on the peninsula south of San Francisco, and we had access, you know, I remember driving down to Santa Clara Valley with her to get dried apricots, and once upon a time, mm. you could drive down El Camino, and there were actually farms on El Camino, which sounds wow these days, but um, it did once exist. And um, <laughs> in fact, um, I do also remember my sister getting lost once um, at the age of two, and um, finding her in the neighbor's chicken coop. And again, this is when people in Atherton, of all places, used to have chicken coops, if you can imagine, <laughs> um, and a large barn. So that's just by way of, of context um, that, and I started cooking when I was very young. I was about five, and I remember mm. um, just, just enjoying it. It was relaxing and it was fun. And um, so I've always been around food. I've worked in restaurants. Uh, uh, my first jobs were in restaurants, um, and again, was I was fortunate to um, work in a little place. It was very traditional, little French restaurant in in, in Menlo Park. Uh, the owner's French, and had run his family had run a cooking school for several generations. So he was, you know, very much old school, uh, classic French uh, chef, but you know, with that same appreciation for the quality of ingredients and and and, and the transparency and simplicity mm. of the mm -hmm. food, which I think is so important. And we fast forward um, quite a ways. And uh, I spent several years in my 20s on a farm in England. Oh, wow. um, a girlfriend who I followed over there and whose family, unbeknownst to me, had a large dairy farm. Um dairy and sheep and kind of a mixed farm uh, in Southern England. It was fascinating and I absolutely loved it. But this is an era when farming was, had not quite achieved the level of coolness that it has today. <laughs> and um, I, um, it just was, uh, you know, it didn't seem like a viable career choice much as I would have loved to have done it. And I've always just been a real hands-on kind of person. Yeah. Um, I, it just appealed to me in the, you know, I like, I, I like farming because of its directness. I like farming because of the, you know, again, the, the, the connection between sort of your effort and your output are mm, so explicit mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in that world. Unlike, you know, there's, there's, there's a directness that I think is lacking in a lot of careers and a lot of, a lot of pursuits. And um, I, I loved it. But again, long time ago, I went off. I actually professionally <clears throat> got a. Um, uh, I'm a product designer, industrial designer, and I worked in global development primarily. So I've I've developed you know, medical solutions. I've run oh, wow. uh, public health programs overseas. Uh, I worked a lot in context and kind of emerging economy. Uh, context where you know life is a lot closer to the the soil and um you know we're feeding oneself is a big deal and 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 resilience and uh sustainability it, it's not really even thought of as sustainability resilience is a key factor of life so again you know it's it's kind of looking at you know looking at it 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 but you know our role here in terms of what is um how do we keep it simple and transparent mm. and that's the kind of theme all along i mean so like you kind of you had an early experience on the farm in england but life took you in a different path and so you, you didn't necessarily take the, the agricultural route and no, so how, not, how did you work outside of that or in that industry Oh, I was I was in in the design world and development world until um, until you know ten years ago. Wow, 15, fifteen years ago. So, so big that, career that, change. Yeah, that it was, and frankly, I mean, it was provoked by a bit of a health issue that I had, and just one of those moments where you kind of, you know, you're you're you're, you know, I'm of an age where. Um, where you start thinking a little bit of, you know, what's to come, what's past. And mm. 
this health issue just said, look, you know, if not now, when, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those mm-hmm. moments you, you know, we, I think we, in some ways, we feel fortunate to have these moments in life where you, you get to look and say, okay, what's, you know, what, what, what do I want to um, do with my life yeah. at the age of, you know, 50 something. Uh-huh. And, um, and I looked around, I said, look, you know, if I could do anything, be anything, what would I want to do? And it kind of came down to, to um, doing what I'm doing now, you know, frankly, mm-hmm. it's just, um, it's a very satisfying, I find it very satisfying on a lot of levels. Um, I wanted to be outdoors. I wanted to be working with my hands. I wanted to be active. Um, I wanted to be a facilitator and, you know, ultimately, and then perhaps I didn't quite realize it until I got into it more deeply, you know, the role of a flour miller, the role of a, you know, of a processor in the food industry is, is ultimately that of a facilitator. You're the connector. Zoomers. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, um, so, so how, how do you, how did you how did you take those initial steps from you know however many years in your uh, engineering or product development career or path how do you you know you can what were the practical steps or like how did you actually make this uh, this dream happen of uh, agriculture? Well, it's I mean it it. And when we talk about agriculture, as I said, it, it, we need to sort of think of it. It's it's a bit of a bit of a mix between the the milling and the growing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's a lot. Uh, you know, I knew there's going to be a huge amount to learn, and that was intentional as well. I mean, I, I wanted I want to be doing something that I know is going to keep me on my toes. You know, for the foreseeable future, intellectually and you know, that I would always have something to be learning. And <clears throat> I probably bit off more than I can chew. <laughs> <laughs> trying to, you know, learn how to, how to, how to grow things at the same time as uh, starting this business in something that I really had no experience in, which is the milling side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first thing I did was, you know, go out and find out what I, uh, what resources were out there for learning. And I, I very luckily, I came across the Center for Land-Based Learning. I actually looked around for different programs on farming programs. I sort of thought, well, okay, the, 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 the immediate thing is let's figure out, you know, what's it take to be a farmer? I'd, I'd lived on a farm for a couple of years, so I had some clue. Mm-hmm. Um but um, the nuts and bolts and the day-to-day, I wasn't really sure about. And I particularly, so I, I you know, was fortunate that, that the Center for Land-Based Learnings here in Winters uh, are just down the road from me now and relatively close to uh, Bay Area. So I figured that was a possibility. And then mm. what I really liked about it, you know, in addition to having a pretty intensive hands-on component was that the um the the output of the course which is called the california farm academy was um to develop a business plan you know really think mm-hmm. go through this not just not just on the skills but really thinking of it as a as a viable business and so we got all sorts of support not only on the agronomic side but on the you know business development side which i found incredibly valuable mm-hmm. i also I, I also have a did graduate. I, I went. I have an MBA, so I, you know, I know what I'm supposed to be doing as far as running a business goes. Yeah. But I've never tried to do it. That's you know, so interesting. That you know, you know, I've had thoughts of like developing. You know, taking my little cottage bakery to the next step. Yeah. I of wouldn't course. think somebody with an MBA would would gain much insight from uh, a program like that. But it sounds like you just the opposite. Just yeah. the opposite. Wow. No, it's it's that's what's you know again what is what I found so engaging about and so interesting. You know, you can go you can go get an MBA, and you know that's so focused on the corporate world and and, mm. and management tools for that, which are all you know necessary and and, and significant important, and obviously keeps <laughs> kind of keeps the the industry running, but. 
to translate that down to you know cottage bakery or you know a cottage mill yeah or something, trying trying to take that 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 corporate perspective and how does that actually work on a day-to-day level is fascinating and so that's what they taught you at the yeah with the california yeah. farm academy yeah, yeah the california farm academy at the center for land-based learning okay. which is now in woodland and you know that frankly has proven probably one of the best um definitely one of the best decisions i made just mm. in terms of the support and you know what this any of these businesses, and I think that's key about about any small business. You know, it's the community that you have. What kind of support do you have when mm, you're mm-hmm. talking about John Eck? And you know, clearly, you know, it's another aspect of of this artisan bread, food, grain. You know, that that this 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 ambience that we're in that is so great is is. You know, it's small, it's supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like we all, you know, to m- more or less, we all know each other one way or another. And um, I think that that's really great. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, you feel supported, you feel you have the, the background to be able to kind of jump out there and mm. try something. Yeah. Um, and there is the knowledge base out there and there's the encouragement. And, and that's been my experience as well, like, you know, on the baking yeah. side, you know, is how, you know, you've, you've dived, you know, first into this and, and gone and sought out, like, you know, uh, some of these programs, you know, I, you know, down here in my cottage level of baking, you know, I, you know, I'm having conversations and having the same experiences, like people are very accessible and, and excited to talk about and share information. And so it's really it's really cool to hear that's like you know we're in similar spheres. Obviously, yeah. we're talking about regional grain economies, and and they all kind of flow together. So that's it's kind of it's interesting to hear that you've had a similar experience in like yeah. the milling and, and farming. Sphere. I think this is food too. I mean, there there are a few things as universal is is feeding ourselves, right? And it's something you know anybody can connect over food one mm. way or another. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's whether it's it's McDonald's or whether it's, you know, some fancy restaurant in San Francisco, there are points of contact there. And I think it's just I mean, and, and again, this is perhaps why it's attracted me you know, throughout my life, but also why I find it so satisfying because, you know, it's it's. It, sounds cheesy but it really is kind of the universal language Mm, and mm -hmm. and i think anything that allows us to connect on that level um is just a great i mean especially god knows in this day and age and with the recent news and all you know anything that allows us to um to connect is um person to person and culture to culture is great well and then you know and that's the thing about the, the kind of the craft or the artisan milling baking world, you know, it, it's that you can make those connections. And, and you know, whereas if you went into big ag, you know, you know, I'm talking with farmer friends of mine, like you know, you, you're selling crops that you don't even know where they're going. They're, you know, the country they're going to. You're just throwing them into this big pool, and you never see the end user. And so you're able to make those connections. It's it's the difference between product and commodity. You know, mm-hmm. commodity is kind of this nameless, faceless, you know, uh, value. It's lost its connection between how it's made, who makes it, who who uses it. And yeah, I think when you lose that connection, you've kind of lost the real value mm-hmm. of what we're you know, kind of what we're about. And that can be very explicit. It can be nutritional value. It can be um, economic value. Um, you know, I think that that it, it, it's been one of the interesting things to me about, about the whole COVID thing. Um, and people talk, you know, the, the, the sourdough um, mania and whatever else, I think what it indi- what those are indicating is this or suggesting is this this desire for transparency and connectedness that is we you know face this thing that's kind of caused everybody to hunker down and separate mm. from each other 
you know, there's a there's kind of a social or cultural demand for you know what is it that brings us together and mm-hmm. and again food and um you know the, the 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 understanding the connection between who we are what we're eating where it comes from is is kind of a universal yeah universal need and yeah so, so well tell me a little bit more and we'll, we'll move on to kind of the next section of our interview but i'm, I'm interested you you could have gotten into uh tomatoes or apricots or what, what was it about wheat that inspired you and, and was there were there other people out there doing stuff like this when you got started yeah. that motivated you yeah i mean there um i mean what <laughs> Again, you know, what motivated me in some ways is there's, there's nothing more fundamental. I mean, it's our, you know, it's kind of the first crop. It's the first, mm-hmm. you know, agriculture, you know, just sort of intentional agricultural commodity, right? not commodity, but intentional agricultural uh, product. And just how fundamentally wheat, grains, the whole sort of grain economy has shaped human culture I mean, it's 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 really it's a From like historical perspective yeah very much the historical perspective and and i'm a, i'm kind of a history nut as well so i find that all really interesting um mm-hmm, too. you know just the, the 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 kind of how this grass that was growing you know somewhere in the middle east kind of ended up taking over the world mm-hmm. and um, how it was brought, you know, uh, sort of, you know, the, you, you can kind of question, you know, we think of ourselves, the humans as the breeders of the wheat, and you kind of wonder, wait <laughs> a minute, <laughs> wheat's pretty darn smart. I mean, it's managed to get itself all the way around the world to yeah. become our primary source of calories, you know, uh-huh. who's the smart one here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I often think about the history and especially of like, you know, wheat varietals, you know, that uh-huh. made its way or that maybe we're here indigenously that weren't we, we still are still learning about some of like the indigenous wheats. Uh, you know, we're talking about like the history of like Sonora wheat a lot, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when the Spanish came up this way and. And so, yeah, there's a lot of history, and it was particularly in, in California, you know, that was one of the major, you know, along with the gold rush, you know, like there was the wheat rush and people were making a lot of money selling yeah. weed. And then, you know, that was kind of the, the groundwork of like uh, the California agriculture was, you know, yeah. was wheat and it's which, kind of Which developed. people don't realize. I mean, they think of wheat and they think of Kansas and, mm-hmm. you know, in the Midwest. They say, well, no, actually, I mean, if you look at it, wheat, you know, wheat is a specifically as a plant came out of the Fertile Crescent. It came out of the Middle East. And you yeah. look into climate, you know, South Dakota does not have a lot in common with, you <laughs> yeah. know, with, with Syria or Turkey or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of that area. California makes a lot more sense and did for many mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were the second or third largest producer of wheat were still the largest millers. You know, people don't realize that, mm-hmm. that, that, the, that the largest volume of flour is milled still in California because it all gets exported to the, to the east, mm-hmm. um, far east. And um, I guess it gets exported west, right? Um, anyway, it's, and I agree, yeah, that's kind of a history that's been forgotten in a lot of ways. And people talk about California as the agricultural powerhouse of the U.S. and forget that, hey, you know, it started out with with bread, you know, mm-hmm. because that's what people ate. That was yeah. that was and remains our, you know, human's primary source of calories. So you know, we, we don't live on wine and olive oil. Um, yeah. Some of us do, perhaps. But, <laughs> yeah. So, so what are some of the, the varieties that you are specializing in, David, going, milling, and uh, do you have a favorite? Oh, gosh. You know, this is like asking a parent which child they like. Um, you know, they, it's, it's, it's funny, and I think this is part of it, is that, you know, we, it's like any other, any other plant. There's, we've been growing it for 10,000 years, and there are at least 10,000 named varieties 
available out there that are oh, wow. in archives or somewhere. And, you know, luckily there's been, you know, there's been some really great efforts to, to, to um, preserve some of these old varieties. I mean, one of my favorite discoveries over the last, you know, in, in, in this whole, whole thing I've been in has been the, um, uh, the archive in Idaho and Aberdeen, um, the USDA archive, seed archive, which anybody can go there and send in a request and get a little 50 gram packet of seed of literally tens of thousands of varieties wow. that they have archived. And it's fascinating, but they'll send it to you. I mean, I've been, so I've been growing out, mm, I've got tw- 10, 12, historical Italian varieties of wheat. Really? Wow. They're, you know, the climate's adapted. They, they have literature around them. I mean, they were, they've been sort of celebrated historically in Italy for their flavor and their baking qualities and their, their resilience and all of that. And they're proving, you know, from these samples that I got, now years ago, and I've been growing them out with UC Davis and growing them out here. We're kind of doing this parallel project. Um, it's just really been fun to see what, you know, what they've turned, you know, what, what are these things? Cause they're, they're basically sight unseen to me. I read mm-hmm. literature about them, mm-hmm. about the varieties. And, you know, I'm now at the point where probably next year I'll, I'll, I'll finally have enough to commercialize, you know, to have some really? wow. of them out to bakers. And From things. a free 50-gram sample. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. But, you know, we're now, I don't know, we've got, you know, some 50, 60 pounds of seed for, wow. right? maybe not quite that much. But, um, yeah, it's it's been a long process. But, you know, that's a story that's different from the story that, a, that a, a winemaker would have around their grapes you know i mean it's like asking a winemaker to you know the way the, the way commodity wheat is treated you know it's absolutely anonymous it's what we get mm-hmm. in the store yeah. and yet there there's incredible diversity and character among you know between these different varieties and you know, anything from you know, the ancient grains, the 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 the, the einkorns and emmers and spelts mm. to durum wheat, which people don't realize is actually historical. Likewise, should be counted as a as an ancient grain, mm-hmm. genetically distinct from common wheat, which is what 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 most flowers made from. Um, you know, they they have some real diversity there. But if you were a winemaker and said, so, you know, what's this, what what are you blending for your wine? And you say, I don't know, it's it's grape, you know? <laughs> yeah. People don't talk about, I mean, the, you know, it's it's all, they, they've recognized the difference that the terroir has, the difference that varietal ha- varieties have, the climate has, how important those are in your ultimate product. Mm-hmm. And it's no different from wheat. Yeah. Um, well, you're, you're you know, kind of... wheat grown in Saskatchewan. It's very different from a wheat grown in Arizona. It sounds like you're kind of touching on like some of the you know, challenges of uh, this, this kind of artisan uh, category of, of farming that you're in. You know, it's like, you know, I would say probably the, the average consumer of bread in America doesn't even know that, that there's sure. like the difference between like a wheat, wheat and a, a red yeah. wheat or a spring or a winter like i didn't know that before i got into baking and so right. part of it seems to me like there's just like that education of uh, the, the end consumer and, and getting people even aware that there are different varieties in the first place and why would they want to use those yeah. um is that something you have to deal with a lot when you're working it's, with i think that's what it, i think that's sort of part, core to what I'm trying to do. Um, the education is, ev- you know, is, is everything again. And it kind of circles back to this idea of transparency. Once you, you start to learn about what this is that you're consuming, where it comes from, who grows it, all that you're bringing value that on economic terms, certainly, you know, there, 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 there's tangible value there that a farmer can capture that can make, you know, make it more reasonable for them to be growing this, 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 this product. Um, but 
it is, um, you know, it's value in the same way that, that once upon a time, again, you know, back in my youth, coffee was Folgers or Maxwell house. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like we weren't looking at like, espresso or Costa Rica or, you know, we had no clue about that, but look at how, Mm -hmm. how that has become the norm now for many people for what coffee's about Mm -hmm. and that, you know, the appreciation and the value, you know, the, the (laughs) coffee was 25 cents a cup, right? You know, if that, it was free most of the time because it really Mm -hmm. had no value. And I had, I had to run into a Starbucks yesterday to get something. I don't even know how to order in a Starbucks. It's it's such a great Uh, analogy. I mean, and I think that's one of the best tools is to compare it to kind of like the craft beer industry and just like how these things have taken off in the last couple of decades, coffee being, you know, one of the the foremost. I love the craft beer analogy, honestly, because I mean, I think, and that's probably my favorite one because for a couple of reasons. One, and I always laugh at this, you know, I, I, I do farmer's markets mainly because it's just my, you know, it's just the best way to find out what people are interested in and what's ringing their bells. I mean, I love to see what, what customers are excited about. But from the farmer's markets, I also find out that, you know, probably my most, most, most rabid customers you know, are guys um oftentimes with kind of a you know some kind of tech or stem background well, right you are, they're, you they're, are in the well yeah Bay in northern california but beyond that even though i mean these are not these are not poets and artists these are engineers and programmers mm. because and, and and because i think they're seeing the same thing in making bread specifically that 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 catalyze the whole craft beer movement yeah, interesting. <laughs> you know, again <clears throat> before before that happened beer you know was pbr and miller right <laughs> and suddenly somebody said hey wait a minute this stuff's actually you know not inconsequential to make it takes some thinking it's actually really satisfying there's an infinite number of ways to mm. craft this problem this product and then again, ultimately, it is a craft, you know, mm. there's still there's art to it. And it's a way of expressing my, you know, sort of myself personally. Um, it's a very satisfying thing to make your own beer. Mm. Not that I have, but I think this is the same thing that's going mm-hmm. on with the whole sourdough fascination. Um, you know, it's there's, there's a few things as reductive as flour, water, you know, and salt and mm-hmm. it allow you to get such a diversity of outputs and where, you know, your, in, your input, the input of the baker um, is so critical. Um, and I just think that there's, there's such an attraction in that. And that's feeding into this whole, this whole point again, you know, I keep coming back to the transparency about mm-hmm. understanding. You know, how do you reduce these minimum sort of these minimal inputs and yet get these amazing outputs where yeah. you're the facilitator? You know, it's 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 your it's what you bring to it that makes a difference. Well, that's I mean, that's what gets me so excited and just like this dream come true scenario last year where I've been talking with, you know, my friend, John Eck and, you know, he's been, we've been bartering some sweet potatoes for bread you know, and, and, I'll, and he's, he's telling me like, Hey, I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to plant some wheat. And so now, now, you know, this last year I got to tell my, you know, uh, customers like, Hey, this, this wheat that this bread you're about to eat, a guy down the street, literally two yeah. blocks away, grew this. Uh, it, it just out, outside of Turlock, and you know where we where I live, and so it was just like people, you know, people have never eaten fl- uh, bread made with flour from their yeah. town. They're like that's just not done anymore, and so it's just uh, yeah. it's exciting for me. It's exciting for them. It's like opening up new dimensions of what it means to you know. Uh, well, 
you're building eat, community. Support, I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're literally, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're the, this is the bread of the community. And it again, it, it sounds a little cheesy, but, you know, one of my other motivations for getting into this is, um, yeah, I just I I love small towns. I, I I love road trips. I like small towns, even though I grew up in the Bay Area and my family, you know, so my mother's from the south, from small town in the south. Everybody knew each other, a lot of farmers. Um, I loved spending summers back there when I was a kid. And um this idea that you know we that 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 we know each other, that you know, I realized that as I draw, would do these road trips cross country, and I, 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 I like nothing better than driving across the, you know, the flyover states in Kansas and Midwest, Wisconsin, mm. and, and you know, places I'd never even think about. And you go through these little towns, and they're beautiful little towns where obviously there had been, has been, or is. Um, you know, there's a certain wealth, there's economy, there was, there, there, there was something there that no longer is. Hmm. And I, uh, I would look at, I look at these places and say, so what happened? These little places. And I think fundamental to the loss of a lot of rural America, a lot of these, these viable, livable, very humane sort of small t- towns was the, the, the the separation of industry, you know, sort of the, 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 the economic world from the production world. So mm. the, the farmers who used to be growing for their neighbors, whose products were being processed by other neighbors within sort of a closed economy, but a dis, you know more more of a distributed economy and more of a resilient economy and that got lost with industrialization where in this run to you know cheaper and more efficient hmm. we cut all those connections and now you know there's a farmer who's selling to uh, a handler who in turn is selling to ADM or selling to Cargill or selling to you know one of the one of the majors um, food processors, and there's no connection anymore with yeah. the community that produced it in the first place, and it disconnects the farmer from that community. Mm-hmm. And to me, bakers, uh, millers, you know, all of this kind of small business, you know, that still is the glue that closes that circle back again mm. and connects you know, communities that way. And I just find that so just a very important thing not to lose, to hold on to, and to try to, to try to rebuild where we can. And, you know, I see what you and I and all the others are, are, are working towards. And, you know, it makes me feel like, okay, there, there maybe there is hope. There's certainly, there's, I mean, and and this kind of, goes into the crowdfunding, you know, to yeah, me yeah. that has been such an information of, you know, that I'm not sort of off on a little soapbox somewhere that they're really, people are willing to put their money behind this idea of reconnecting um, communities and through food and through the production of food. I wanted to take a quick break from our interview to thank the main sponsor of the podcast, WireMonkey, creator of the original UFO bread line. WireMonkey makes the highest quality bread scoring tools and accessories that you've undoubtedly seen in the hands of bakers throughout our sourdough community. Whether you are into intricate scoring and stenciling, the likes of At The Gem The Color or At Oak City Sourdough, or you're just looking for a dependable, easy-to-use, ergonomic bread lump, Wire Monkey has what you are looking for. I use mine every time I bake. Wire Monkey has several lump styles. They even have a sourdough podcast version in Walnut that helps support the podcast with every purchase. So go to thewiremonkey.com to buy yours online or find a reseller in your country. Now, back to the show. Let's let's talk about uh, SMBX. I was, I mean, that was kind of my major major motivation for reaching out to you. I've obviously known about your work and, and what you're doing up in Northern California for a while, and uh, and I saw 
uh, I saw, I think I saw something on Instagram and what's, what's, what's going on here? Clicked onto it. It's just, it's a, it sounds like it's a really cool project. Something was like a, it's a different approach to uh, small business fundraising that I've, that I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the project? What, why was this something uh, you looked into? How did you hear about it? And um, yeah. why has it been a good solution for you? Yeah. Well, it, it, it is interesting. It's a novel platform. I, I frankly knew nothing about it until I signed up to take a uh, class through the SBDC, the Small Business Development, <clears throat> um, Small Business Development Center, which is you know part of the SBA. It's it's in that whole sort of galaxy of, of of support systems. Which, by the way, you know, for anybody that hasn't tapped in to the SBA universe go there it's just you know again i i felt like i just discovered this this whole world of of um resource that that kind of heard about but didn't realize was there and again in business school people don't talk so much mm-hmm. all that much about the sba you know it's kind of for small the, the free resources yeah 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 and well, i literally <laughs> signed up uh last night for kind of my local uh version of that. so look just in it took me several years to be honest i went through a couple you know there are a lot of different a lot of different branches and each one has its own kind of area of, of focus and in 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 competence and um it took me a, a, a couple of tries until i finally connected with this group who are actually out of the um solano i think sbdc um but there's a food group out of there that focuses specifically on um, focuses specifically on um, restaurants and food businesses, and um, so there are, I don't know six or eight advisors in there. One of whom um, is a guy named Monty Neal, who uh, is a has a bakery in Oakland that I knew of. And it turns out he knew of me or has been following me, you know, sort of from afar for a while. And he invited me into this thing. He said, Hey, we, you know, I know that what you're up to and you might be interested in this group we have together. So they had a pitch deck um, class for, you know, basically how do you approach, um, Mm. how do you approach investors, potential investors? And I thought, yeah, this is good. This sounds, this is something I could use and I could use the structure just again, I know what I'm supposed to do with that, but just having, you yeah. know, having somebody give you an assignment and saying you've got to present it every week um, is always helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up for that, and it was great. It was just this great, great course. The advisors are really good, very experienced. Um, several of them, I think, are just outstanding um, who I've worked with. Um, and at the end of this, I don't know, six week, eight week, I can't remember how long it went on for, but this. And, and that that was two two and a half um, sessions a week wow. virtual. This is all online, but it was very good. Anyway, um, at the end of that was a, we did kind of we pitched our we did our pitch deck, and um, the audience happened to be um, the CEO of this SMBX, um, which I knew nothing about, but learned subsequently it was kind of a novel investment vehicle where it's a crowdfunding platform and people know you know we funder and kickstarter mm-hmm. and, you know there there are plenty crowdfunding platforms out there but most of them are um either equity or donation based right mm-hmm. um, that that for the folks investing you know the out output is going to be somewhere far in the future, if ever. And mm-hmm. it's, you're kind of depending on the goodness of their hearts and, you know, looking for, sometimes looking for handouts, basically. And it just never felt quite right to me that never has felt, you know, if I'm trying to start a business to make money, then I feel like, you know, that the motive, <clears throat> the motivation should be, we should all be able to make a living at this, including mm. the Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, SMBX is really interesting because it's, it's a it's a debt platform. It's uh, there's there's small business bonds. Yeah, and um, that actually hadn't been 
possible until relatively recently, I forget, three or four years ago, maybe a little bit more, um, the, uh, the, 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 the rules, the federal rules were changed to allow um, what they call non, non-qualified investors, you know, folks who, mom and pop investors yeah. to purchase bonds, which, you know, there's some risk because they're, you're basically, you're, you're riding a loan to, um, to somebody which may or may not be secured. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have a guarantee in getting getting your money back. But the premise is that you do get paid. You you know you are getting paid for use of your money, and to me that just made a lot of sense all around. You know, if I'm going to get, you know, if I'm asking for somebody to invest in me, it seems like they should be getting something tangible in return. Yeah, and I just I like the alignment of incentives there. It's not necessarily the cheapest <clears throat> the cheapest money out there. You can, at least until now, <laughs> I don't know if interest rates are changing, but you could, you know, you can get a less expensive loan through the SBA or even through a bank, and which I had tried, but as a small business with you know a small low margin business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not easy to do. And I've tried to get, you know, I've applied for grants, I've applied for loans, I've had a couple of small bank loans, thankfully, through um through land that land-based learning helped organize. But a flour mill is an expensive proposition. There's a lot of equipment there. Mm. Um there's you know a lot of risk, as you know. <laughs> yeah, and and then and I think one of the critical things I've learned as well is that there is a minimum sort of economic scale. There's a minimum scale that a a mill needs to operate at to um, be economically viable. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the real, the sort of, the very small scale, the garage level is is, is pretty much a hobby. Yeah. Um, Just because the, the, the numbers, it's, possible to really make the numbers um spin out on any sustainable way and it depends a bit on I even mean, if you it, it's perfectly fine to have a hobby too it's a great you know it's a great way to occupy yourself and do things but you know again part of my mission is um and we go back to sort of california as a is a grain growing state you know it, it grain growing used to be a, a fundamental part of the economy it's mm. almost disappeared at this point mm-hmm. is it certainly is is a way to earn revenue for growers to earn revenue um you know i would like to create incentives for for farmers to actually want to grow grain you know for well, and, and that's what, I, what was so uh that's what intrigued me about this smbx program was that you know it's literally an investment you know like I, if yeah. you know for me i actually ended up We'll see if that actually goes through. I got in too late, David. I, uh, you know, I, I was very inspired. I was like, hey, this is, I'm all about this. This is what I talk about on the podcast. This is what I talk about with my bakery. He's literally, uh, you have, you know, helped form our local grain economy in my hometown. And so, like, this is, this is it. I, this is, I want to get involved with this. I, uh, actually, you know, submitted my, my information, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to do it through the podcast. And so, yeah. I, pushed like the business uh option uh-huh anyway i needed i needed a lot more paperwork to be a business yeah, investor I didn't, you know, I didn't realize how much i haven't actually seen it from your end from the investor end and and only found out later that it's quite an involved process i mean it's it's it turns out you know within 24 hours you hit your quota that you know, know and so like you fill this thing within a week the 24 hour span that I got involved, uh, it actually, I had to go back and do it through like a personal account, which was much faster. So I, I, I'm in the system to see if it goes through because you, at that point you'd already hit your quota. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I would, well, I was shocked about that for sure. Um, so you, so you had originally set up to raise a uh, 107,000 
and then yeah. about a week you you hit that and now last i saw you're at 124,000 yeah. yeah uh with 26 days left to uh yeah. you know, of this of this program so and, and my next call is actually with um with um the account guy i'm working with at smbx to discuss you know i I've, I've got to get a newsletter out today and you know is it time can i actually tell uh, our subscribers hey you know this has been fantastic but you know you it, it, it's probably the, the 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 gates about basically yeah. investment and thank you so much but hang mm -hmm. on we're going to need more i mean part of it is to realize too uh you know the 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 the, the scale of operation that i'm trying to build which from everything I've seen is kind of the economically uh, or financially viable size of operation um, to build that just in terms of, of machinery and, 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 and infrastructure is somewhere around a million dollar wow. operation. You know, it's not cheap. There's a lot of there's a lot of equipment there. There's a lot of space. It's mills are expensive, and for a product that you know traditionally has almost zero margin, so it's 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 a hard sell um, in traditional financing. Um, and realizing, you know, I'm not going to do that, and I'm I, I don't want to raise that kind of money in a first round. Um, I just, I, you know, I want to be able to prove that we can do this incrementally. Mm -hmm. So this $107,000 is really, you know, it's, it's definitely a first round and it's what we figured. Well, it's, it's, it's what the current business can bear. Um, yeah. well, what are you, what are some of the things you're looking to, uh, or, or what, what are you looking to buy with these funds, uh, to help you well, get first and foremost, we've been working out of this this little storefront. Um, I'm, you know, the the the, the shop right now is less than six hundred square feet. Really? And, <laughs> um, yeah, and it was never intended as a real production facility. I'd actually started out milling um, in a in a room at a neighbor's barn from here where I live in in Rumsey, which was. Wonderful, actually, except the state wouldn't, you know, they kind of categorically said, no, we won't approve a food production facility in a barn, even though it actually met most of the, the, the criteria, mm. it's just, you know, this bureaucracy. So I had to find something in a hurry that would allow me to, um, to have what's called a PFR, a process food registration, mm. which is, you know, any it's it's required if you're a food processor um though quite a few folks don't or if you're 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 not a cottage food processor anyway um and there's you know i'm in cape valley i, I figured there'd be it'd be very easy to find uh, some kind of industrial building or someplace to to, to rent and of course there's nothing oh. here the closest I could find was this little storefront down in Esparta, which is 25 miles from here. Um, so I've got a 50 mile commute each day just wow. down at the end of the shop. And um, little storefront that I figured would be there, you know, we'd, we'd just move into and um, well, finding something more appropriate. And um, you know, that took several, some years to do. And meanwhile, you know, at first it wasn't a problem because we weren't producing all, uh, you know, we weren't producing all that much flour or we, we could produce enough flour in the 600 square feet for it to make sense. But, you know, as things scaled up, we're, you know, we're buying pallet loads of grain now. We're buying, you know, we're buying in, in, in one ton totes. Wow, and, yeah. yeah and there was no room physically we didn't have the space for that so had to find you know storage space to begin with and then and then realizing that that the you know, kind of minimal scale of operation that that we're looking at is going to need it's going to need three to four thousand square feet to work mm -hmm. in if we're going to have 
you know, storage. We're going to have everything under one roof and be able to operate with some efficiency. And again, that's really necessary. You know, we never, we're not going to, we can't compete with commodity millers. We're not going to compete with central milling or you know, even, even the, the, the artisan or craft millers. But um, we still have efficiency of operation to, to produce the flour we do and to do it you know, with good quality and at, at, a, at a price that at least bakers can integrate into their, into their um, recipes. Yeah. There just wasn't, there just hasn't been any space around like that. And we finally found, we've looked around, I uh, was about to looking at a space in, in Woodland, but, you know, that's even worse. That's 50 miles away. That would have been uh, 100 miles. Um, mm-hmm. And I really was not too excited about that. Um, but we did um, find a space around the corner from our current, our current place in, in Esparto. With 3,800 square feet and have been used as a food hub oh, and um, was great. So we've been trying, we were having a few hiccups around that, but we've been trying to get ourselves relocated in there and actually invested a fair amount of money already to just do building upgrades so that, you know, we have enough power to operate the machinery and all. But it's an expensive proposition. Milling is, um, you know, there's a reason, there is a reason why you don't see a lot of small mills around mm-hmm. because they're expensive. They're expensive. I mean, there's, you know, you can count them on your hand. Uh, one hand, yeah. how many I think there are in California that are, you know, yeah. in that s- sphere. Um, or in the country. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. Although, but what's exciting to me is that they're starting, I mean, they're, they're, there are some success stories out there. And you know, the model, I think, is getting validated through folks like Karen Springs Mill up in Washington or Janie's Mill in, in Illinois, mm-hmm. um, uh, Maine Grains in uh, Cohegan in Maine. Kristen yeah. uh, Toll down in LA. Kristen Toll, absolutely. Yeah, Nan's doing a great job down in Pasadena. I just got um, a, She just sent me a big old bag of... Uh... I guess it's a UC Davis hard white she's testing. Was it a one one UC one one? I don't. It doesn't say what yeah, specific it, it, it is. UC, but, uh, no, the front side. I saw yeah, it. that's this UC Davis UC, hard white. Oh, it just says hard white. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, so, so this is a bit of a, a, a tangent, but. Um, we're we're about to start milling. I'm really excited about this uh, a um, a variety that that was developed through UC that actually. So the story behind this: when I first started, I was milling for a baker uh, named Davy Surcamp, who had a bakery called Payne Bakery, and um, um, you know he was baking out of. Um, out of um, commissary kitchen down in, in South San Francisco, but, or yeah, somewhere down there. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He, a uh, very talented baker and um, I, UC Davis said, hey, do you think there'd be any interest? We've got this bright yellow wheat that had a number on it and we use it actually, it's, it's, it's a common wheat. The Amarillo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we use it for, um, bringing color into durham we we use it as a as a you know as a cross is genetic material for for uh breeding with durham we mm. bring that that bright yellow color into it but interestingly on the genome the sequence that that codes for color for you know for the bright for the 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 the, the yellow color is related to the same sequence that will code for flavor, aroma, you know, all of the sort of sensory qualities of the grain. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And they said, you know, I'm feeling this is probably, if it's so bright yellow, I mean, this is the way the Durham is. This is why you make, one reason why you make pasta with it, you know, it has a lot of flavor to it. Mm. And I said, you know, do you think this would work for, for, for bakers? You know? mm-hmm. I said, sure, let's try, try milling some. So I milled some and I, um was giving samples to Davy and he baked these bright yellow, beautiful yeah. bright yellow sourdough loaves. He said, This is like the best thing I've ever had. So just- I got to bake with it as, as well. I got some from um Claudia at the uh-huh. California Wheat. 
cushion. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, be- it's beautiful. Yeah, I love the consistency. It was it, it great flavor, and yeah, I really flavor. enjoyed it. Well, that's what's so neat about it too. Is it 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 you know a lot of these heritage wheats that I work with and that I focus on. You know, the flavor is great, but the mechanical properties are not as good. The rheology mm. that they're just. You know, generally not as strong. The gluten's not as not as um, workable as some of the modern weeds or higher protein weeds. And so there's always you know, a bit of a compromise there. The Amarillo is great because the baking quality, I mean, the mechanical properties are outstanding, mm. and it has the flavor, and it has this color, which I really enjoy. Yeah, and um, and it seems to grow well. So yeah. I, I, saw, anyway, I, I saw a really something. cool picture uh, on Instagram the other day. You're milling up your, what is it, the, your, the red uh, Bug Nouveau. Uh-huh. And uh, uh-huh. so you got like three farms, including John yeah. and uh, one monster yeah. involved. So you just, it's not like you're getting a lot of cool stuff. You, you, you've got some, some success with this uh, crowdsourcing experience. You're, you're getting ready to kind of expand your operation. It sounds like things are are building here slowly for you, David, and um, really exciting. Um, one more question before I let you get back to your morning. I know we've, we've gone way over the time, but um, maybe just what, what's your vision of maybe the next few years uh, look like? What's the the vision you would like to see come come yeah. to fruition through in the California wheat um, grain the grain economy? It was maybe just narrowed down through our state, yeah. but what, what would you like to see happen in the in the next few years? No, I'm definitely focused on California um, and specifically, you know, sort of Northern California. I just I I would, you know, I would like and in, in from the get go, my goal has been to. I want to do a proof of concept. I want to demonstrate that it's possible to have a regional scale mill that's sourcing from local growers with unique varieties of grain that are produced in a sustainable manner um, and have it as a viable business. Um, You know, I want everybody in the value chain to have reason to be involved um that that it makes sense again that they're not doing it purely out of love but that they can cover their costs that it's it's you know that there doesn't have to be a sacrifice involved in producing good food um and i'd like to demonstrate that yeah we can do this on a on a local regional level the next step from that, I think once that I'm able to demonstrate that is, you know, then I want to replicate it. As I said, I, mm. I you know, I look at these, these beautiful towns in the middle of, you know, the country that, that have been sort of had their, 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 you know, been sort of eviscerated by industrialization. Mm-hmm. And I really would love to see if, if we can demonstrate the model here, can we replicate it? in other places that traditionally depended on this grain economy um and um yeah i mean that's my dream um and then i'd like to sell it and be able to go um spend the rest of my days collecting oddball wheats in eastern turkey or, (laughs) or afghanistan or you know some of these amazing places where where this came from, yeah. Sicily. I'm growing a 2,000 year old wheat right now. Wow. That, I mean, it's been documented back for a couple of thousand years, and I just, I don't know. That's I just find that really, really appealing. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, David, I, I, I'll let you go here, but I just want to say thanks for the, your inspiration. For you know, it, it's it's trickled down. Uh, even down here into Turtle Rock, you know, Central California, my my neck of the woods, and uh, you're 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 inspiring other people. You're, you're spreading the, the good news of of uh, local grain, and and I think uh, you know we need more people like you out there doing what you're doing. Uh, it's you're you know you're you're creating jobs, you're you're feeding communities, you're connecting communities, and uh, so anyway, I wish you all the success. Congratulations on your most recent. Uh, 
success with the, the crowdsourcing and uh, I look forward to following your journey and seeing and seeing where you guys go from here. Well, thanks, Michael. I mean, it's, it doesn't work in isolation. I mean, that's the, that's the point. We need bakers like you and we need people who like really good bread and yeah. good, pastry, good, good baked goods to buy it from us. And, um, it's just, it's great to be part of that, uh, part of that circle. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Oh, you and your audience is fun. Yeah. Um, how can people, people find you online, David, and where can they buy a flower? I mean, just kpmills.com takes us to the website. It's a, it's a construction zone at the moment We're we're likewise doing a little buffing and polishing there, but uh, we should have more information and really trying to create a, uh, information resource for people for, you know, connect them, not just to descriptions of the grains, but the recipes and what to do with them and who's growing them. And, you know, just, uh, um, try to share as much information about it as possible. Um, that's the, um, sorry, my dog's making some odd noises over here. Um, the, um, Website's a good place to do it. Um, as far as buying it, farmers markets in the Bay Area right now, um, relatively limited distribution through that. Um, up in Napa as well, be in Napa this Saturday, the Napa Farmers Market, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we do Ferry Plaza in San Francisco every other Saturday and Temescal in Oakland. Wow. Um, we're getting more and more retailers on board. We recently have started selling again at the Sacramento Foods uh, Natural Foods Co-op, which has been great. Um, in fact, I did a podcast with them yesterday. Oh, cool! Two days ago, and um, they're great as well because of their educational mandate, and they do a really good job of of um, educating and informing folks that shop at the co-op. And um, again, that's the kind of relationship, you know, retail relationship. I really want to. Um, I love love being part of um and we'll see from there we're 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 looking at broader distribution uh for retail but we also would really like to be working with more more bakers like yourself small artisan bakers and um um offering a a local option for folks who want to who want to use california yeah uh, yeah well, the the snowball is is growing, and I think uh, you know there's a lot of room for for growth, and and I think it's that's where we're going, and and uh, grateful for people like you kind of leading the the, the way there. So, David, thank you so much for talking with me this morning, and uh, we'll have to have you come down here and hang out with me and John, Absolutely. and we'll go get a beer or something. Yeah, go reconnect with John as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm due for a visit, so. Um, love to do it. And likewise, come on up here to Cape Bay Valley. Anytime you need, need to see some greenery and a little bit of hit some Hills. Um, it's awfully nice up here. Um, I love yeah. it. Okay. Right. Thank you so much, David. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The sourdough podcast is produced by Michael Hilburn and edited by Caleb Sexton. All music is by Weston Perry. Thanks again to our main sponsor of this episode, Tyler at The Wire Monkey Shop. You can find music and products by clicking on links in the show notes of this episode. And be sure to head over to thesourdoughpodcast.com where you can find exclusive recipes from our guests as well as cookbook and gear recommendations, previous episodes, and more. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to tell a couple bread friends. You can also support the podcast by purchasing a Sourdough Podcast t-shirt, coffee mug, or UFO LOM at thesourdoughpodcast.com backslash shop. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.